Happy New Year, DSR listeners! This year, we're adding even more content and benefits for members, including a new weekly column written by David Rothkoff, more exclusive content, new shows and hosts, and soon, a new membership option that will include a mix of live and virtual events and interactive discussions. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, a members-only newsletter, and members-only blog posts. Membership is just $5 per month or $50 per year. To become a member, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you and Happy New Year. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you today from Washington, D.C. We are also joined, I think both in Washington, D.C., by a new guest, Annie Carney, who covers the Congress for the New York Times. Hi, Annie. Are you in Washington, D.C.? I am in Washington, D.C. And someone who loves gray and rainy, it just suits his personality, Norm Ornstein of AEI, of Our Words Matter podcast, and Man About Town. How are you doing today, Norm? I am persevering, David, and I am gray, but I don't have as much gray as I used to have, put it that way. The entire top is gone. Looks fantastic. And the way the light glints off of this. It's really a nice effect. Anyway, uh, so we have this new Congress. I enjoyed some of your tweets, Annie, last week as we were hitting the wee hours and of this kind of epic day and the 15th vote. That was one of the craziest um, things I've ever witnessed. Wh- what was your reaction in retrospect? To I having- mean, I was watching with my hand literally over my mouth after the 14th vote when McCarthy got out of seat and went over to Gates. It was just completely shocking. And that it would all come down to like a one man on man confrontation between McCarthy and like the biggest thorn in his side, who we've all sort of don't take that seriously in Congress but somehow had the power to hold up this entire thing. And then the physical altercation that followed, actually just McCarthy going over there. And like, it's so rarely do you see McCarthy without his happy face on. He's really like a master of looking like sunny, even when things aren't going his way. And in that moment, he looked nauseous. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And what do you think happened there in those whispers? I mean, besides the near fights and people being pulled back and stuff, I mean, do you think Gates changed his vote because he was given something or because he was threatened? Well, he didn't change his vote. He voted present on the 14th and then present again. But something changed between those votes to get enough Republicans to vote present that he could pull it out. And what I I just did a interview with Eli Crane that will post tomorrow or the next day. He was the lone freshman Republican who held out to the very end. And he told me that as of what happened between 14 and 15. And he said, 
it was really a conversation among the four remaining holdouts. And they kind of felt like, come this far together, we're going out together or not. And they just felt like they weren't going to, there was no real path forward for them at that point. And they felt like they'd taken it this far. We're all going out together. So they, according to him, like the final decision was among the holdouts themselves, just deciding, you know, we've proven our point. There's nowhere further to take this fight. And I think that's what I heard the leadership was telling people. So you've made your point. Let's just end this thing. And they finally did it two in the morning. So at two in the morning, Norm, typically you're sitting in front of your TV watching C-SPAN. And I I just, were you on this night as well? I was indeed. And uh, I don't typically watch C-SPAN. If they did actually finally in their proclaimed transparency mode, allow C-SPAN to continue to have control of the cameras, I'd watch a lot more of it. We saw these interactions on the floor, including an attempted assault and battery, but we also saw just extraordinary things. Matt Gates talking with AOC, the different interactions, and anybody who tunes into C-SPAN at other times only sees the fixed camera on the one speaking. So it was a, a little bit better. I uh, used to be a night owl. I used to stay up at two and past two, but I would watch Turner Classic movies more than I would watch C-SPAN. I'm not a night owl anymore because I have to get up to walk the dog. And that was your dog, not mine, who was barking a minute ago, although mine is uh, right behind me. But I was there, and I actually had been skeptical that McCarthy in the end would get the votes because I know enough of them hold him in utter contempt. They really do believe that McCarthy has no principles, that he's weak. And I thought that if the holdouts were firm, that at some point they were going to have to turn to an alternative. Might have been Steve Scalise, who I remind people all the time, once described himself as David Duke without the baggage. There's been more baggage since he described himself that way. Or I thought possibly a Tom Cole, the chair of the Rules Committee, who used to be a savvy institutionalist who at one point I thought was the best choice they could possibly have for a speaker, went all MAGA, which meant that he could probably have gotten the votes. And the uh, chairmanship of the Rules Committee looks a lot less attractive when you have to deal with three Freedom Caucus members and you're no longer a leadership committee. But I was wrong. And obviously, I think it wasn't just about making their point. It was that 15 of the 20 had given in earlier because they got so much. And we know that Matt Gates himself said on uh, television, there's nothing more I can ask for. I can't think of anything else to ask for. So McCarthy caved over and over again. And we're all going to have to uh, see how that plays out. But we're all going to have to pay a price, I'm sure. You're a Turner Classic movie fan. And uh, this was not Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. This this was terrible remake of that. But how do they come out of it, Annie? I mean, we've seen them make some early moves on abortion, naming people to committees. But it seems like the deals that McCarthy made have him in such a fragile position that he couldn't have come out of this feeling like there was a great victory and they had the wind at their back. It was so what, what is the mood among the leadership on the Republican side right now as they contemplate actually having to do something? 
I mean, he gave away, you know, it's the weakest speakership in a long time. He gave away all this power. But I think that he won against all odds. I think that looking, sitting in the office with the Speaker of the House sign over his name, it was a, is they feel victorious. That, that night, I, you could hear McCarthy staffers discovering the Speaker's balcony and sort of celebrating late in the night. So I think they, they feel like they pulled it out. As for governing, it's going to be very difficult and we'll see where these hard right members and Freedom Caucus members exert their power over him. We did not see, there was some speculation that there would be another drawn out fight over passing the rules package and there wasn't. And in the opening days, you know, I think he has a few months to, before he has to really pass a spending bill or deal, deal with bills that absolutely have to pass. And that's when McCarthy's life is going to become really difficult and miserable. For now, they're doing these messaging bills, like yesterday, this bill about a born alive bill, which was abortion related issue. I, we can talk more about what that really does and doesn't do. Uh, but, you know, they're setting up these committees to investigate the Biden administration. They'll be doing votes that are about messaging to the base and not about that won't go anywhere in a democratic controlled Senate. But he's got a few months to do kind of some stuff like that before the real challenges of governing catch up to him. Doesn't that norm look like a TV show more than a Congress? I mean, in other words, he like schedules hearings, he holds, makes statements. They're not going to go anywhere legislatively. The objective is to score points politically, you know, against Biden or, you know, on their favorite causes, but it's performative. It's all performative, but, you know, consider that they didn't have a substantive agenda to begin with other than blowing up what Biden had done and blowing up the established order, including Social Security and Medicare. They've got some very tough things ahead. I think Annie is exactly right. They can go for months doing performative stuff. And if you saw McCarthy's face at the time of the 15th vote, even before, as soon as Gates put up his card to say, I want to change my vote on the uh, motion to adjourn. He went from stricken to giddy. He is giddy. His goal is not to do as speaker. His goal is to be speaker. And he will cling to that as long as he can, which means he's going to do performative stuff and basically give a free reign to the extremists as long as he can. And that'll be a few months. But the tough stuff will come. And I'm uneasy, pessimistic, because having been you know, there when in 2011 we came this close to default, Boehner saved us, basically. And that was the beginning of the end for him. But it's been clear to anybody who's followed McCarthy since the days of the young guns, uh, McCarthy, uh, Ryan, and Cantor, since before that, that he's not a, even a John Boehner. And when push comes to shove and he has to do something to keep his more extreme elements in line, it's not going to work for him. And then it becomes a question of, one, whether he even tries, or two, what he can do to pick up the pieces. I expect that we're going to have 
some rolling government shutdowns. Major parts of the government will be shut down for periods of time, and there'll be a backlash. And I'm not sure that he will be able to deal with that effectively. At the same time, they have promised a balanced budget brought to the floor. And they also, remember, one of the rules changes was they went back to the three-fifths requirement to raise revenues. So you're going to have to do a balanced budget by cutting 25% or more out of the federal budget. Remember, 70% of it is entitlements, most of which is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, and farm subsidies uh, included in those, some of them. And they've already talked about dramatically cutting defense, which is a non-starter for a lot of their own members, but certainly for Republicans in the Senate. There'll be a backlash when it comes to Ukraine. And then you've got the rest of the discretionary domestic budget, which has already been trimmed repeatedly, but it includes a lot of things that people care about. So, you know, unless they do some kind of just complete slate of hand, and even with that, it's not clear to me how they can make it happen, they'll get a backlash. And I don't know how he'll handle it. He is a survivor, obviously, but the real trouble is going to come in four to six months, I would say. Is that your view, Annie? Is that the the crunch time is going to be tied to the budget and uh, that, you know, he is going to at that time be sort of under the thumb of the most extreme members of his party? Or alternatively, is what happens at that moment that um, McCarthy uh, tries to do something and it sounds extreme? And half a dozen Republicans say this is crazy and vote with the Democrats. And Hakeem Jeffries is effectively the speaker. I mean, that seems unlikely. That wasn't there was a concern in this round that that these defectors would push so hard that some moderate Republicans would go to the other side. But it's pretty unlikely that they would let the Democrats control the floor of the House. But I don't know. I mean, we're, well, we're what, gonna... I, what I really what I really mean is that some of their most extreme measures are likely to be blocked by a coalition that's all the Democrats and a few Republicans. I mean, isn't that possible? Um, you know, I don't know. I we'll have to see. Like. Definitely on Ukraine money, I can see that happening, but. You know, I don't know. I think it's issue by issue. Like I covered this bill yesterday on the Born Alive bill and Nancy Mace, who's a moderate from South Carolina. No, no, there are no moderates, Annie. (laughs) Okay, well, what passes for a moderate from South Carolina was making the media rounds yesterday ahead of the vote saying, did we learn nothing from the midterms? Abortion is a horrible issue for us. It galvanized Democrats. We, you know, we lo- the red wave didn't happen in part because of abortion and the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And what, on our third day of actually doing any legislative business, we do an abortion-related bill? Like, come on. And she voted for it because <laughs> there's, so it's like she didn't like the timing of it, but she had to vote for it. I, she felt she had to vote for it because of the base of of the issue still is important to Republican voters. And this was like a completely uh, kind of a show vote. It was, it sounds dread. This is what Republicans wanted. It sounds awful. It's like to protect newborns who are delivered alive after an abortion. In reality, 
doctors, there is a law that already exists that doctors have to save their life if that happens. And it really doesn't happen in this day and age. It's incredibly rare, but so it was just a way of, um, you know, it wasn't a real substantive bill here, but she voted for it even after railing against Republicans for bringing it to the floor. So uh, there, there will be issue by issue, but even on this one, like the quote unquote moderates, it was a completely party line vote. I don't know. David, I want to go on one of my rants here. Nancy Mace, of course, before that said, I don't like this rules package. I don't like the way they've handled things, all the things that they've given up and then voted for that as well. And my rant is I keep hearing references to moderate Republican. First of all, in her voting record, she's a conservative. There's a contrast here. There are some pragmatists, I suppose you could say, some old line conservatives joining with the radicals, but they're all cowards. You had one vote against an outrageous rules package, not to mention the side deals that were done. We had them all stick together on these other votes. There are 17 or 18 of these members elected in Biden districts. And maybe there will be votes because they know that they're going to have real trouble down the road if they continue on a path that is a truly radical path. But as I've said to you many times and more broadly, this is more a cult than a party right now. And it's not about issue positions. It's more about the fear of being excommunicated or shunned and then threatened and having to go back home and be treated as an apostate. So push comes to shove, we're in a different place. Now, having said that, uh, I was struck as I uh, read the news about the death of Diamond of Diamond and Silk, right? I think 52 years old, one of the most strident anti-vaxxers around who got COVID and died of COVID. We have at least 100 of these Republicans who campaigned on an anti-vax line. Now, some of them, I'm sure, got vaccinated and still campaign that way. But if you have a margin of four or five, you can't lose anybody. And if you, as they did in their rules package, do away with any kind of remote voting. And let's say 10 of your members get COVID and are out for two weeks. You lose your majority for that period of time. And that'll be an interesting test and a challenge for Hakeem Jeffries and the other Democrats as well. But I don't think it's out of the question that we could see the majority shift sometime in the next, uh, within the next uh, two years as well. But absent that, I just don't see when there's a vote that will get 95% of their members, 90% that the other 5 or 10% are going to stand out from that if it matters at all. There will be one or two or three where they still keep the majority, but where they can cast symbolic votes. But we're not going to see a coalition of the middle here anytime soon. I mean, a few things. One is <laughs> to stay home because you have COVID requires having tested positive and like, are these people testing? I don't know. You know, maybe people are not, you know, as Trump used to say, fewer tests, fewer cases. And then the issue of like a slim majority, that's, you know, and then you could easily lose it. I mean, we talked about that all the time in the Senate last year that, you know, you have a lot of really old members and then you had young members. One young member had a stroke. Like when you're a 50-50 Senate or a majority in the house by four. I mean, sicknesses happen. A lot of these people are 
more in the Senate than the House, but are really old. Like these majorities, like I was just agreeing, like, like they could flip any time. And the proxy vote, Kevin McCarthy got rid of proxy voting. I'm really curious how that plays out with a, such a slim majority. You really need all your people physically there. So we'll see. It's important to, uh, to make that point. Let's, let's shift the focus a little bit here because another of the things we know they're going to do immediately is launch these various committees, investigations. And there was an interesting column by uh, Jen Rubin in the Washington Post today about how Democrats could use the Committee on the Weaponization of Government effectively to reveal the hypocrisy in the Republican approach, actually call out times that the Republicans weaponized the government, be active members of the committee as opposed to the Republican tactic on the January 6th committee, which was just to boycott it, more or less. Is is that where you think we're going, Annie, that, that the Democrats are going to engage and sort of fight their fight on these stages with them? Well, if there's one thing we learned from the January 6th committee, it's that by, you know, having no, not, no one from your side being able to talk or present an alternative argument. You did yourself no favors there. I mean, that was a huge error on McCarthy's part. Like it was just a one-sided panel for months and public hearings with no one defending Trump. So I think that, you know, there was a lesson learned there, but I mean, if this, it's not clear that this panel is really about any substantive policy questions. It could, there could be some that, you know, our, our challenge as reporters is there's so clearly a political agenda. That doesn't mean that maybe in mixed in there is also some, they could come across real, you know, if they're investigating with subpoena power, maybe some things they turn up are legitimate and we have to look carefully at what is real and what's, you know, just politically bogus claims. But um, this is not kind of like the bipartisan church committee. This is, you know, really seems like it's designed to scrutinize what they say was like an attempt to punish conservatives. And now it's retribution time. And I don't know that there's going to be a lot of room for Democrats to make it really a bipartisan church style committee. We'll see. It's not clear what the policy substance policy issue is yet that they're after. So let me add on uh, a couple of things. First, you know, remember that they've taken uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell off relevant committees, not because they've done anything wrong or said anything inflammatory, because they're effective. And I think their fear has been that you'd have some of these formidable people on these committees who would make it very tough for them. It's going to be an interesting challenge for uh, Jeffries to decide who he puts on. But I think Annie is exactly right. It would be insane not to put people on this. What scares me about this committee is they've been given the authority and the rules to get access to every bit of the most sensitive intelligence information, including sources and methods, available to the Intelligence Committee itself. If you go back through the history of the Intelligence Committee, although it was 
abused very significantly in the Trump years with Devin Nunez. But it was always the case that both parties carefully picked the most responsible people who could keep secrets, who would try to work together in uh, the interests of national security. And that's no longer the case, but it's going to be particularly true that we're going to get some people who are more sympathetic to Putin than they are to Biden. Um, people who are reckless, who might share information with Donald Trump that could get out, including information we know that one of the, you know, beyond the uh, weapons and other material we're sending to the Ukraine, we are using our formidable intelligence resources to help him, help Zelensky and the uh, Ukrainians in the battlefield. If that information gets out, then it could be absolutely devastating. So we've got the performative elements going after all these agencies. And remember, they also added back in the Holman rule, which means that you can fire, although you'd still have to get the Senate, but it, through the appropriations process, cut out the salaries of specific government employees and fire people. They're going to try and undercut agencies. That's bad enough. Playing around with national security is, to me, a, a, a really uh, unsettling element of this. I would add, by the way, that minimizing things like insurrections is playing around with national security because national security threats can be domestic as well as international. This is where we normally take a break, and we're going to do that right here. And we're going to say thanks to all of you out there who have been listening who are not members, and we want to encourage you to become members. Go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on members. Uh, you can join up for the price of a latte per month, and you get 33% more content on all of our podcasts, plus a whole bunch of other things. So we hope you'll consider doing that. For those of you who are members, stand by. We'll be right back. 